Well, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. I know it's the day after that beautiful season where we celebrate and remember the infinite who became an infant. That is the wonder of the Advent and the gospel that we celebrate. So this morning we consider a verse that is precious to many. In fact, Sam referenced it when he prayed just now. It contains a truth that is spoken to widely in Scripture. It's simply this. God is always with us. He doesn't leave us. When we feel alone, we are not. When we consider ourselves to be unworthy, that is not true. Unworthy of His presence. When we consider ourselves to be forsaken, such is not the case. When we think or feel that God is absent, he is not. Let's read our text this morning. It's Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2. God speaking. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Note the vivid imagery, the language that is employed, the forces of nature and God saying, I will be there in the midst of it all. Difficulties in life that are extreme. It is a precious promise. God is always with us. Now, there's a little twist to this verse that I think we often overlook. Everything that I just said is 100% true and 100% scriptural. However... Context is always key. To understand what this statement is speaking to makes it even more precious, even more comforting, even more encouraging to give us courage. You see, the difficulties and the challenges, the trials that God is speaking to here are not random trials in life that the people of God would encounter. They were not things outside of their control. Lord knows in a fallen world we have plenty of those. What God is speaking to here, the difficulties and the trials that He is speaking to in this instance was entirely of their own doing. And I think as we unpack this, we likely can relate 
with the Israelites on this. So just a little history on this beautiful statement. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, God makes promises to his people. We call it the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God had with his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there are 14 verses, the beginning of the chapter, where God essentially says, if you honor me, if you worship me, if you follow me, if you serve me, if you love your neighbor as an outflow of your relationship with me, I will bless you in ways that you will not even be able to contain. That's verses 1 to 14. Verses 15 to 58 are a different story. If you neglect me, if you neglect worship, if you disregard your neighbor, if you are negligent in your worship of me, if you become distracted by those around you, I will send curses your way that you will not be able to handle. That's God's word. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, hundreds of years later, this is exactly where God's people find themselves. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in their own land. They're now in the middle of what we call the exile. They're in Babylon. For centuries, the people of God, with all the blessings that the Lord gave them, neglected worship, neglected God, strayed from Him. They were now experiencing the judgment of God. They are in Babylon. That's what this verse is speaking to. You are currently under my hand of judgment. Life is not going so well for you. That vivid imagery that he speaks to is absolutely true for them. Isaiah 42 through the first number of verses in 43 here speak to all of this. So I bring us to some self-analysis this morning. A scenario that the Israelites were in, I think, begs for us to take a moment and take stock of where we are ourselves. It's the last Sunday in 2021. It's good to pause and to ask ourselves this question. Life is difficult for all of us in many ways, but sometimes we make life a little extra challenging by our own actions, by our own decisions. It's good to reflect. We believe and we just sung and we just celebrated that Christ came bringing grace so we can walk in that. But we also need to take inventory of our own lives. It's easy to fall into a rut. It's easy to fall into bad habits. It's easy to neglect 
God and our relationship with him, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to wander and right on down the list. But let's go back to the Israelites. One chapter before, this is Isaiah 42, verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. Now you would think that being in Babylon would elicit a response. But the response was not given. That was a godly one. It's not as if, even in exile, that they had been diligent to seek God, to love their neighbor, to be careful in their worship of him. Let's be more specific. He continues. You, he said, you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. The sacrificial system is the bedrock of worship for the Jews. It was neglected. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with, your, with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me. With the fat of your sacrifices. Everything that I laid out for you. You have walked away from. You have neglected it. You have neglected him. In fact. In Isaiah 42. There's a voice of praise. And there's also a voice of calling people to their senses. He calls them both deaf and blind. Spiritually speaking. And then he calls on the deaf to hear and the blind to see. He wants them to see their true condition and what is actually happening. Why this whole thing called Babylon is now their whole, their new home. He wants them to see what the real problem is. Oh, how they wearied him. And it's not as if they just had a bad day, right? This had become their lifestyle, their identity. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Hear the heart of God speaking to the people of God. How many blessings and advantages the Israelites had. They neglected it all. But it's not as if they were just distracted. It's not as if they were just off doing their own thing. They were actively sinning. He says, you burden me with your sin. I'm weary with your iniquities. You'll notice in Hebrew writing, there's often, it's a way of presenting truth where they'll say it one way, then they'll adjust it a little bit and say it again, just to make sure you get the message, which is exactly what he's doing here. You burdened me with your sin and you've wearied me, wearied me with your iniquities. This was the problem. They were. 
were the problem. Now what to do from here? It would be natural for the Israelites to look around and say, well, we are no longer in Jerusalem, in our own home place. Far from the familiar. Maybe these Babylonian gods with a lowercase g are stronger than ours. Maybe they won. Maybe we should turn to them. Perhaps we might ask ourselves the question. Should we give in and turn to worthless idols? To empty worldly philosophies? To our own strength? The answer is a resounding no. The answer is no then, and the answer is no now. Take a look at 42, chapter 42, verse 16. He will call them, and I'm not, I don't believe I'm out of line here to call us as well, to trust in the Lord and to look to him. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will reacquaint them with my ways. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do. I do not forsake them, my people, that I have called by my name. They are being faithless. I will be faithful. The contrast. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. It is so easy, it is natural, and history is replete when people turn to to what, what is not the truth, and they think somehow that, whatever that is, will save them, will help them, will build them up. Will deliver them. God puts a contrast before them. So here's my simple message for us this morning. Like I said, it's a great time to take inventory of our lives. To take great, it's a great time to take inventory of our attitudes, of our priorities. Of where we spend our time. If we have unconfessed sin, harmful patterns, would you get real with the Lord today? I say this in the context of grace, not wanting to shame anyone. I am just as human as you are. I have a propensity to wander like anybody else does. But in the context of God's grace, 
If you are here this morning and you know full well that you've been kind of pushing something off to the side, that you, you, you don't want to deal with something or you want to just keep this little pet sin alive while no one else watches, I'd like to call you this morning to repentance. It's a great time to start afresh. Hold your place there and look at 1 John. We're going to ease back into 1 John in the new year. So I'm just getting you used to going back to 1 John. End of your Bible, almost. I'd just like to read this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If an unbeliever denies their sin, that's a problem. The gospel is not going to help them because you have to acknowledge your sin. It is also true for believers. If we act as if we don't have our junk, as they say. But look at what he says, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what... That's what a change of course looks like as we walk in grace. We acknowledge our sin. We admit it. We don't hide it. We don't justify it. We don't belittle it. We don't put it off to the side. We call it what it is. But the beautiful thing about the work of the Spirit in our lives is that He does not shame us. He convicts us. And when He convicts us, He points directly to the sin and points to a way out. Look at chapter 43, verse 25. We're back in Isaiah, back in the Old Testament. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I am will not remember your sins. This is God speaking hundreds of years before Christ came. What a fountain of grace our Lord is. You see, in this extended passage, Isaiah 42 is where it begins, there's a shout of praise because even as the people of God languished in exile, God was preparing to deliver them. Even when they had completely neglected him, left him, wandered from him, pouted, if you will, when they were in exile, God says, I will remember my word to you. I will be faithful. And I will deliver you. This is my zeal. Let's put this in New Testament terms. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Our salvation, 
our relationship with the Lord is about freedom. Freedom, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are right with God and that we are called to live as children of light. So let's face our weaknesses, our sin, our failures, find grace and move on. This is not a call to morbid introspection. But as children of light, let's live out our calling. Let's be honest and quick to name sin, sin, and put it behind us. Confess it, be cleansed, and walk in grace and freedom. So, as we close out this year, before we hop back to 1 John, some thoughts for reflection. What habit or past event or trauma or mindset am I holding on to? Remember, my ambition here is not to guilt or shame anyone. I want each of us to walk in freedom. For the joy of the Lord to truly be our strength. As we enter into a new year, Lord knows the world is upside down at the moment. The world needs the people of God to walk with their God, to walk with the people of God, and to be good news to those around them. So I imagine some of you this morning, when I ask that question, what am I holding on to? There might be something that immediately comes to your mind. And as your shepherd, I'm putting my finger on that and asking that you be open to the Lord's conviction. And let's act on it. Let's not be passive. Let's not acknowledge what we know to be true and then just awkwardly keep walking in that same direction. Be decisive. And let's lean in to grace and walk in freedom. One of our adversary's greatest schemes or tactics that is highly effective is to take the people of God who are forgiven, redeemed, who are co-heirs with Jesus Christ and make us feel less than. To remind us of our past. To remind us of our failures. And to take our eye off of the blessing and the calling that God has put on our life. It is possible. Desirable. To deal with sin. To deal with the issues in our life. In a way that is marked by grace. And confidence. That God loves us and that we can go there we can be honest and we can receive the forgiveness and the cleansing relationally speaking that we need to keep walking forward so this morning as we close out this year we'll observe communion together this is the perfect time to reflect 
to remember who God is, who we are, to kind of look back on 2021 and to resolve as we enter a new year to to enter it with a clear conscience. That is a conscience that knows, yes, I make mistakes and yes, I sin, but by the grace of God, I address it the best that I possibly can. And I stand in confidence that God's love for me does not waver because of my performance. So I invite you for some moments of quiet reflection. Moments to pause. We all know that this is a busy time of year. We all know it's hectic. We might have time off from work, but all this other stuff that goes on around this time of year. Slow down for just a moment. Talk to the Lord. Take inventory. Take courage in how deeply God loves you. How much he loves you. If you're here this morning and you've never heard the good news of Christ, that which Isaiah actually spoke to extensively hundreds of years before Christ came. Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. You and I, we cannot reconcile ourselves with God. We cannot make those wrongs right as far as our relationship with him, big picture. But Christ came and took our sins upon himself, suffered, died, buried, and rose again. The good news of Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you've never called on the name of the Lord, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Take a few minutes before the Lord.
Saints, what we are about to observe and participate in together is such a beautiful and a sacred moment. The Lord is faithful. He has given us His Holy Spirit who lives in us, who assures us of our good standing with Him. He also gives us tangible Reminders, things that we can touch and taste that tell us that God is good, God is faithful, and God loves us unconditionally. Precisely what these elements are. So take a moment and try to get those things open because they take a little bit of time. wrestling has largely subsided so I think I'm free to continue Paul said this I want to just say uh, say something very quickly here it is easy even with something like communion to just fall into a rut you fall into a habit you do these things and don't really think through what you're doing this is God's gift to you It is a tangible reminder that you no longer bear your sins. That you no longer will stand before Almighty God and give an account for your sins regarding your eternal destiny. But rather, he who knew no sin became sin for you. That you might become, not slipped in the back door, But that you might become the very righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of Christ. That is extraordinary. That's who you are. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me, please? Please remember, context is so important. Jesus rewrote history in this moment, what we call the Last Supper. When he was celebrating the Passover meal with his followers, for decades, for centuries, every single year, the Jews would look back to their deliverance, their temporal deliverance from Egypt, and remember the lamb that was slain for them. A lamb without defect, a lamb without any issues whatsoever. 
the blood of that lamb would be caught, and there's only one door in every house, and that blood would be applied to the doorpost on that day. And the people of God would leave their home covered by the blood of the lamb. Never again to be enslaved by the Egyptians, to move away from that. This beautiful picture of a lamb that would have its blood shed and cover them is a wonderful picture of the fuller redemption that is in Christ. So much more. Eternity is longer than our individual lives. And so Jesus, as they progress through this last supper together, did something remarkable. There are four cups in this dinner, this celebration. The third cup, the one right after they eat, is called the cup of redemption. And the Jews would think in terms of, wow, we no longer live in bondage. In this case, to the Egyptians. God freed us. God delivered us. But the truth is, they all still died. Jesus, look at what he says, verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. There's your clue, cup number three, the cup of redemption. And he says, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the Lamb. That's the real one. That's the Lamb of God who will do more for us than ever took place in the Passover. This is the new covenant. And it's in my blood. I will suffer greatly for this. But I will purchase you. I will redeem you. I will forgive you. But it will not be something that I snap my hands on. I will suffer and I will die pinned to a cruel Roman cross. Covered by my own saliva and my own blood. Shamed naked. Bearing the wrath of God on your sin fully and completely so that you can stand before God forgiven. Saints, do not live for lesser things. You are free. You are forgiven. You have an eternal inheritance before you. And God wants to remind you of that every single time that you partake in communion. Do this, he says, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You go back and you remember the cross, that old rugged cross where I died. I'm now die- I'm dead. I'm gone. The old Colin is gone because I identify with my Savior. In his death. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The two most significant events in the history of the world. The death of Christ and the return of Christ. 
You look back and you remember what he did for you, who you are, and you live for that day when the clouds will be parked. Would you join me, please? Take a cup. Oh, open them up. Sorry. They're already open. Pray with me. Oh Lord, we come before you. And I trust that our hearts are full of gratitude for Christ. The angels did not announce his coming. They did not rejoice for a mere sentimental moment. The shadow of the cross covered that manger. The one who knew no sin, who would become sin for us. The one who would heal, teach, and call us to himself would willingly lay down his life for us. But oh, let us not overlook the rich theology that is inherent even in that. Which of us has sweat drops of blood in duress in the moment when Jesus knew full well what was ahead? He did not suffer more poorly than those who would follow him for his sake. The anguish that he experienced in his soul was knowing full well for the first time in all eternity that he would be separate from you and that he would bear the brunt of your holy wrath on our sin. That he would willingly come. That he would take on the form of a servant. That he would be obedient to death. Even death on the cross. Oh Lord, do not let our focus get blurred. By the philosophies and the focuses of this present generation. Fill us with your joy. Control us and govern us with your peace. Open our eyes that we would see more fully how deeply you love us. That we would perceive the length that you went to to redeem us and to call us your own. That we would walk before you with confidence with our head held high. Because we, through the gospel, 
are co-heirs with Christ. Show us how to love well those around us. Open our eyes to see the opportunities that you surely put before us every single day to be good news to those around us. Fill our hearts with courage, with comfort as we follow you. And may we be resolved to live as children of light. To know your word, to know your truth and to live accordingly. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Yes, there are surely presents that might be strewn throughout our family rooms or living rooms. Memories of time with those that we love. But oh, as we live each and every day, speak your peace your love to us. And may we simply be a conduit of the very same wherever you have placed us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.